Welcome, friends. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Cynthia Kane, the founder and CEO of the Kane Intentional Communication Institute, which provides services to help individuals and companies improve their communication skills and show up authentically in their most important relationships. She actually has an entire book on the topic of today's conversation, How to Communicate Like a Buddhist. Cynthia will share tips to help all of us connect more authentically, plus she puts communication in the context of skillful speech, a vital part of Buddhist teachings. If you enjoy our conversation, please share this episode and subscribe. To learn more about Buddhism through my free courses or my book for beginners, The Buddhist Path to Joy, please see the episode notes. May you and all beings be well. So thank you so much, Cynthia Kane, for joining me today. I'm really excited to hear about your intentional communication method, but mm -hmm. I wanted to just start with asking you, how did you come to Buddhism and write speech and your whole, really your whole field of practice now? How did you arrive there? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here with you. Um, so I... I got here in a very roundabout way. It wasn't like a clear, there was no clear path. Um, I really came to the work that I'm doing now and to Buddhism through losing my first love um, really unexpectedly. And, you know, before that time, I didn't know, I didn't know much about Buddhism. I didn't know a lot, well, anything about right speech. Uh, <laughs> I was extremely passive aggressive and very reactionary and um, very judgmental and just had a lot of difficulty in silence and, and with myself, right? There wasn't a lot of gentleness towards myself or friendliness towards myself. And when I lost Mau, Mauricio, is his full name, um, my whole world just really, yeah, I often liken it to like a blank canvas. I really just felt completely blank and I had no idea what belonged on that canvas anymore. Just for context, what age were you? So I was 30. I was 30. Okay. So, I mean, the Buddha left home at 29, 30 sounds like a classic age to discover. Oh my God. Yeah. What is this? Yeah. Life. Thing. And so it was exactly that. It was like, what is happening? <laughs> it was like, I couldn't understand why the rest of the world was functioning and I was not functioning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such a good question after a loss like that. Yeah. And I remember, I just remember um, that like the questioning and wondering what is this all about and um, what, like how, you know, getting into the questions that really weren't helpful um, mm -hmm. and then understanding that if I was going to move through this, I was going to have to figure out how to do that and how to feel better. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started, you know, reading a lot and, going to lectures and all of those things. And a friend of mine suggested going to a meditation and writing workshop mm. and at the Shambhala Institute when I was in New York and I was trying everything. So I went 
And that weekend completely changed my world. Um, that's where I learned meditation. And then I learned the elements of right speech in Buddhism. And I was like, this is my way through this suffering. It was the first time I was able to sit with the sadness and the heartache and the anxiety and the fear and also like the beauty and of the world and like how amazing, you know, life is. And it was just like the first time I was able to be in contrast, mm-hmm. like, to exist in contrast and it'd be okay, not be right or wrong, right. which was very powerful. And, um, and I remember leaving, that weekend being like, this is it. Like, this is my, this is my way through. Mm -hmm. And then the question became, how in the world do I do this? You know, like this all sounds really amazing. Like I want to be honest. I want to be kind. I want to be helpful. I don't want to gossip. I don't want to judge like all the things. Beautiful, very simple. And then I had no idea how to do it. And so Mm -hmm. that really is what created this practice was this experiment of uh, like understanding I needed to change the way that I was communicating with myself to then change how I was interacting with others so that then the world around me wouldn't be so scary anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really what started me on all this. And um, I started writing about what I was practicing and seeing all of the changes that were happening in my relationships with others, with myself. And then I started teaching it and people, the demand for it, it was really high. And so then I created more and more and more. And that's really how, how it all kind of came together. And it's a really, it's not something, you know, when I was younger, I thought that I would teach people how to communicate in a more intentional way. And yet it is truly like, it is truly my heart's passion, right? Like Mm -hmm. it is what I, what I feel like I was brought here to do through, through a really unexpected and unwanted event. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how I got here basically. (laughs) I think it's just beautiful that you took this, you know, event and made something that's been so beneficial to so many people out of it. I mean, I think that's like very deeply Buddhist in other spiritual traditions as well. But, you know, the idea of like the Bodhisattva, for instance, who has vowed to keep living this life in Mm -hmm. order to help everyone else live it too. There's that kind of like bittersweet, you know, Mm -hmm. appreciation of what the world is. Yeah. And it is, it is that it's, it's, it's helping people feel better in the world and helping them understand suffering and being able to change the relationship to suffering so that suffering is not something that suffocates, Mm -hmm. right? But suffering is something that you can, you can connect with differently to reach a, you know, another place Mm -hmm. um, that feels easier. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so often, you know, a lot of traditional like religious or spiritual traditions had ways of like transforming that suffering that happens in life Mm -hmm. into something other than just kind of this gaping hole 
that feels like it's going to swallow us up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in modern life, often we've really lost that. So it's great to see, you know, there's so many different approaches, but like to see an interpersonal approach to that, which is really based on mindfulness and Mm -hmm. growing out of the Dharma. But it seems, you know, from what I understand about it, very accessible to everybody. Like you don't have to be a Buddhist to be able to practice right speech. Mm -mm. No, you don't. And I, it really is, um, it changes, it changes your relationships, right? It changes, um, it brings way more connection and helps you learn how to navigate difficult interactions and, you know, how to really have the, you know, be able to express yourself so that people can hear you and, you don't have to be a Buddhist to be able to apply these principles. Right. Um, and it really is though learning Buddhist principles, like that's what you're really doing. You're learning Buddhist principles, right. And mindfulness practices Mm -hmm. to help you access really the parasympathetic nervous system Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that then you can connect calmly, compassionately and consciously. Right. Mm -hmm. And, Meditation is such a big part of communication Mm -hmm. in that, right, informal practice, that moment where we're distracted and then we move ourselves back. That is truly communication, right? When you are talking with someone else, you can get distracted. You get distracted into your thoughts. You get distracted in what the other person is saying. Why aren't they saying this? I should be saying this. They should be saying this. Like all the things, right? That's all distraction. And so the like that beautiful moment when you're like, oh my gosh, like I am not here with this other person. I am not present with them. I'm not help, you know, being helpful in this moment. I'm not being supportive in this moment. I'm not being honest in this moment. I'm just going to notice that. Thanks so much. I'm going to come back and be here. Right. So, um, and the practice itself is, that's the other thing too, I think is that it is a practice, right? Communication is a practice just like, you know, Buddhism is a practice in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. Daily. And so it really mirrors, I mean, it, it, it is grounded in the elements of right speech. So, yeah. 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 And maybe this is a good time to ask, mm-hmm. you know, what is your understanding of right speech? I feel like it's, it's one of the, the noble eightfold path. Yeah. It's super important. And nowadays there's so many different ways of communicating, not just face to face. So what is, what is your kind of pith teaching or understanding about what is right speech? Mm -hmm. So right speech, the way I teach it is, is really to, it's being honest, right? To be honest, to use helpful language, to not gossip and not exaggerate. Mm -hmm. And so it truly is if you, if you feed everything through the lens of like, is this kind, honest, helpful, and necessary? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, then it, then it falls in line with right speech, Mm -hmm. right? And oftentimes people will say, well, you know, they'll say something and it's kind, but it's not honest or it's not helpful. Or they'll say something that's honest, but it's not kind. And so, you know, it is, it's so simple when you say it out loud, but then when you start to really get into it, there's a lot of complexity there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be like one of my teachers, I forget who, um, actually said one time, if you try to practice right speech, like with as much detail and granularity as possible, that's like a complete practice right there. Yes. And I, I would say that that is, 
that is a hundred percent my practice. That is all I practice. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I believe that like practicing right speech embodies the other practices, right? Mm -hmm. Like the other pieces on the eightfold path. Um, and it keeps me aligned to those. Right. So, yeah. One thing I really appreciate too about the emphasis you have on communication and relationships is I feel like often in Western convert Dharma communities or just Western communities in general, it, it tends to be really focused on the individual. You know, I go, I sit and meditate, I get up and leave, you know, and that's what people think of as Dharma practice. Whereas traditionally it was much more communal, much more about, you know, what you do with your neighbors and your teachers and your fellow practitioners. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate that, that aspect of what you're doing and, and really focusing on, you know, it's, it's not just the inward gaze, it's also the relational gaze. Yes. And I, I think that often what happens is when we, when we practice, when we meditate, the moment that we're finished, sometimes it's surprising that what we are experiencing within meditation does not follow us. Right. Like yeah, that, like the calm that we may feel sometimes or um, the, the freedom that we may feel. And then we have an interaction with someone at the grocery store or with our partner. And, you know, suddenly we're just completely you know, frustrated, we're lashing out, we're getting passive aggressive and we're like, whoa, that's the complete opposite of like where I just was. And so sometimes the question is, well, how do I trans, like, how do I bring what is happening in meditation out into my personal relationships? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and while meditation, I truly believe is helpful in so many ways, what it does not give you is the expression part right? Yes. Like you're not talking in meditation, you know, like, um, you're not, you're learning. It's, it's an interesting thing, but like you're learning in meditation, how to interact with others, mm -hmm. but the talking piece isn't there. You have to combine meditation with expression, mm -hmm. right? Like, so you have to start to implement the awareness in your interactions to start listening to yourself in your interactions, listening to the sensation in the body when you're connected with somebody to understand like, is this comfortable? Is this uncomfortable? Just like when you're in meditation, right? You're aware of sensation in the body with an, in an interaction, becoming aware of sensation. What is it telling you, right? Like, how is it talking to you? Is it like a cue for you becoming passive aggressive or a cue for you lashing out? And then, being able to see that, talk to yourself differently in the moment, access the present moment, then be then you can see the other person mm -hmm. clearly and then express yourself and talk, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a whole other practice off the cushion that that has to that has to be practiced for the elements of right speech to truly, you know, be be worked, basically. Yeah. And I just kind of want to underscore here for anyone who's listening and thinking like, oh, that's not like a serious, hardcore meditative practice or whatever. Right. Like the whole point is that practice informs the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So if you're only focused on, you know, I sit and I 
can keep my mind on an object and it doesn't wander for an hour, like that's amazing. But if you get up and you're yelling at your partner, yeah, <laughs> there's a disconnect there. <laughs> there is. And it's, um, you know, cause the whole, I, I, for me personally, I feel like the whole, the love affair I have with Buddhism basically is, is the connection with others is that compassion is the, like the, the presence, Mm -hmm. like that to me, being able to have that in relationships, Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes them so much more enjoyable. Right. Um, so for me, it really is about connecting with other people. It really is about community. It really is about, um, and not just like Sangha community, right? Right, right. Um, but but really being able to um, connect on a on a different level in that in that realm, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I think you know my sense of where sort of the the at least the American Buddhist community is right now is there's a lot of you know especially since 2020 and the whole sort of racial reckoning and just the, the exposure of all the inequalities in society. Like, I mean, for those who weren't already aware of them, yeah. um, it just seems like one of the questions around Dharma practice is okay, but how does it translate out to this bigger picture? And, you know, I feel like you're really underscoring one of the extremely traditional ways mm-hmm. that it is designed to translate out. Yeah. Um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, you know, could you maybe connect the dots for people? You mentioned it starts, this intentional communication starts with the way you talk to yourself. Yeah. So could you, could you connect, you know, what happens in your personal practice on the cushion, how you talk to yourself mm-hmm. and how that translates out? Yeah. So in, you know, when you're on the cushion and you have those, the moments where you are off somewhere else, right? And we we do bring ourselves back to our anchor or whatever, you know, wherever our attention is at that moment. It's really easy in that moment to have like a critical voice Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, you've been doing this for so long, you really should not be so distracted right now, right? Right. Like, (laughs) Like, stop thinking about that you know, come back. Right. And that voice is really, it's like a judgmental voice. It's not such a nice voice. Right. Um, and that is the same voice that when you are connecting with someone else and maybe, you know, they're letting you know that, um, they would really love it if, you know, you would help out more with taking out the trash, let's just say, And in your mind, you're talking to yourself and you're like, I'm the worst. Like, that's horrible of me. I wasn't even thinking about that other person. Or I can't believe they are even thinking that about me. Or they think I'm so selfish. Or they think that I don't care about them. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, there's that judgmental voice that's there. In meditation, that moment where we're gone and then we notice, if we use just like a really gentle, friendly, kind, loving voice that's like, oh, that's all right, sweetheart we're okay. Like, let's just, let's come back to what we were doing. Like really gentle, really friendly. That then translates out, right? Mm -hmm. So that 
you are in an interaction. Somebody says something like about the trash and then you're aware of the sensation in your body and you start talking to yourself differently. You're like, oh gosh, you're feeling really like you're feeling really stupid right now. Mm -hmm. Like you're feeling really invisible right now. It's all right. We're good. Let's just take a breath. Let's come back to the present moment. What are our hands doing? What are our feet doing? And here we are, right? So like that's one instance. Another is sensation in the body, right? Within practice, just becoming aware of like the feeling tone, right? What is a pleasant sensation? What's a neutral sensation? What's an uncomfortable sensation? And in, you know, in practice, sometimes with, the pleasant sensation, the want is to hold on to it or like want more of it, but can we just enjoy it? Right. The neutral are those places that maybe we disconnect from. Mm -hmm. And instead of disconnecting, can we become maybe more curious about those? Mm -hmm. And then the uncomfortable ones that we want to like push away and resist or fix or change. Can we like, can we treat that as like, you know, something we want to nurture or like love. And when we do that in meditation, then outside meditation, when we're in these interactions, right. Somebody says something, Oh, there's that uncomfortable feeling inside. Mm -hmm. I'm going to nurture that feeling. I'm going to be kind to that feeling. I'm not going to push it away. I'm not going to resist it. I'm not going to go over here. Right. I'm just going to soothe myself. Mm-hmm. so that then I can come back to the present and I can see the person mm-hmm. as somebody that I care for. Right. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you're in a relationship and it feels really lovely and good. And instead of being like, I want more, I want more of this. Mm-hmm. Like I need to cling to this. I need to attach to this. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, Oh, can I just enjoy this moment? Mm-hmm. So you really learn in your meditation practice how to connect in, you know, in your personal life. It's just a matter of being aware of those things and learning how to do it because it's a different, it's a different practice than, Mm -hmm. you know, formal meditation. Yeah. It's different. And yet as you're explaining it, you know, part of what I'm realizing is like, if you think of the main I don't know, mission of Buddhism as like unraveling this sense of self, like the self we think is there, but it's actually, there's nothing there. You know, we unravel that self to get down to like who we like truly are. You know, Tara Brock uses the example of a, a Buddha in Thailand. It was this clay Buddha, you know, very beloved. And they had a big drought in Bangkok and and the clay started cracking. And, you know, what they discovered was underneath that clay was actually golden Buddha. That had been covered with clay to protect it during an invasion. And I feel like often we're identified with that clay. Yeah. And, you know, so if you think of the the sort of mission of Buddhism as to like peel back that clay gently and get down to that gold, mm-hmm. I'm really struck by how much of that sense of false self we hold together with the way we communicate, you know, yeah. to ourselves, to other people. The exact example that you just gave, you know, could you maybe take out the trash a little bit more often? It's so easy to hold together a sense of self who's a victim. Oh, you want me to do everything or, you know, in all of those senses of self, whether they're I'm better than you, I'm worse than you. They're all, they're all keeping us trapped. Yeah. And it's just 
it's really powerful to think about it in the context of communication. What self am I creating? Mm -hmm. What self am I putting on you? You know, yeah. how am I holding an inaccurate vision of the world together with my communication? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's such a beautiful way of putting it because so much of it's, it's wanting to make solid what isn't right. right. And it's like so much of this work it to to speak intentionally in a kind, honest and helpful way is to learn really how to like open your palms, right? Not keep them clenched, but like mm -hmm. open your palms, soften, like soften that exterior. Mm -hmm. um, and, and be uh, like, understand that it is like, it's okay to do that, mm -hmm. right? That there's no need to defend or explain or, um, you know, make excuses. It, it it's really that honesty piece. Mm -hmm. And, and so much of that is really being able to like, break, break out of that protective layer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just wondering, I mean, when I start thinking about creating and sort of shoring up a sense of self, I start thinking about all the other ways we communicate now, like online and, mm. you know, and I know that's one of the things you've thought and talked about. So what are your, what are your kind of, I don't know, go-to strategies or how do you teach people to be more <laughs> loving in their communication online too? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I push people first off, not to be <laughs> like, not like, not, not, not to be loving online, but not to be communicating so much over yes. text or online platforms. Um, I really push people that I work with to pick up the phone, mm -hmm. to talk to people in person. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I know that, you know, in work environments, that's not, always the case and same thing in personal relationships for sure. Um, though I, I do, I do believe that it is best um, with the interesting thing is that when you start to learn these practices online, like it's much easier to see when you are talking too much, like when you are saying things that are not necessary mm -hmm in text. So when you're writing an email to somebody, or if you're writing text, you can really start to see very easily, like, is this helpful? Mm -hmm. Is this kind? Is this honest? Is this necessary? Right? Like, what does the other person really need to understand from what I'm saying? What am I trying to actually say? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times we don't really think about what it is that we are talking about, mm -hmm. right? Or why we're saying what we're saying. And so it gives you the opportunity to really think about what you want to say, what you want the outcome of the interaction to potentially be, so that then you can be really conscious of the words you're choosing or how you're choosing it. Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes, though, to, let's say, like commenting on things, mm -hmm. um, Again, I, I wish that it's so funny because people ask me this question a lot about like communicating online and I want to be like, it's different. I want to be like, it's different online. You need to like do X, Y, and Z. 
but it's not different. It's the exact, it's like the exact same thing. You're using the exact same practice and process to understand if the way that you're connecting with other people is helpful. Mm. Right. Um, and it, it requires us to be a hundred percent responsible for our, like our words, our actions, our reactions, you know, all of it. And I think that that's really the the biggest piece. It's giving yourself like that space and that time to really think in the moment, is this like, is this keeping the integrity of the conversation intact? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, is this my responsibility? Cause in a conversation, even if it's online over text, what have you, everyone has a responsibility within a conversation, within an interaction, right? Like my responsibility is to pay attention to the words I'm using, how I'm using silence, my reactions, uh, my facial expressions, my body language. The other person is responsible for their reactions, their language, their facial expressions, their silence, all that. And all we have in common is like the health of the conversation. Mm. And so over text or online or in person, if you notice that it is becoming hurtful, that's when you understand, okay, this is no longer going in the right direction, right? Mm-hmm. My my job is to have a healthy conversation. This either means that I need to leave the conversation. This mean, means I need to redirect the conversation. This means that maybe I put the other person in an uncomfortable place or they don't feel very comfortable right now. How can I, you know, connect with them differently? So, you're using all these, I mean, you're using all these tools and all these practices to be able to see, is this hurtful or helpful? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Because within intentional communication and the elements of right speech, the idea is really the purpose of communicating is to help yourself and others suffer less. And so you're just kind of constantly coming back to that as almost like your thesis statement. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, is this helping this person? Is this helping me? Is this hurtful to me? Is this hurtful to them? Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. It's, it's, I have an easier, an easier time understanding how mindfulness and awareness, attention to the body and sensations is so crucial. Yeah. Because that's so much to monitor in real time. Yes. And so, that the, it starts with the body. Communication starts with the body mm-hmm. because your body is your cue, right? And most of the time when we work with people, with students, they want to get rid of their reactions, right? Like their default reactions. We all have them. You know, I'm like the best passive aggressive person in the world. Um, but like they're, they're really, I often tell people that they're really your superpowers because because they're your cue, like the sensation before you lash out or become passive aggressive, Mm -hmm. that's your cue to know that you are about to do that. Mm -hmm. So it starts in the body. And, and then it's really important to be able to understand what is a good feeling in the body. What's not a good feeling in the body. What's a neutral feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. And we only get there when we sit in meditation and we understand sensation right? Like what, what does that feel like? Where is that located in my body? Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you, you start to take that observer role, right? That you have a meditation where you can, where you don't feel like you're there, but you're there and you're seeing, but you're not seeing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what ends up happening in your interactions. You become more the observer. So you're not caught in the language anymore of somebody else. You're able to see what's happening so that you can interact like without being driven by the emotion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kind of maintaining your own, I don't want to say equanimity necessarily, but like a little bit of stability from the inside. Definitely. Yeah. It's being able, the way I, you know how some people will talk about how with meditation, it's this, like the, the sensation or like the idea where you can be in all this chaos and still feel calm inside. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And that's, like that's the same when you're talking to other people. It's like that can create a lot of inner chaos. Mm. And how can we access calm and rest within the body while still feeling chaotic? Mm-hmm. Right? Like how can we expand our capacity for discomfort? And like how can we sit in that discomfort? And that's what we do in meditation. And that's really what it is when you're – in conversations with other people, you're really paying attention to, whoa, this is uncomfortable for me. Can I sit with this mm-hmm. instead of react to it? You know, I mean, you do talk to it. Like you talk to the discomfort, right? If something is really bothering you, like it's all about expressing what is, what is bothering you and, and all of that. That's mm-hmm. the communication piece of it. But the first part is not speaking. The first part is truly listening to yourself and how you're talking to yourself and the sensation in the body. And then once you understand all that, then you can move to actually listening to somebody else. Cause you, re- you can't really hear anybody if you're not truly present and like um, empty, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of us too, you know, for whatever reasons during our childhood, we get used to not listening to ourselves. Oh yeah. yeah. And then it makes it really difficult to get yeah. back in touch and communicate with ourselves, let alone anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And it's, I mean, it's hard to listen to ourselves for so many reasons. Right. And oftentimes we can hear ourselves, but then we don't trust what we're hearing and mm-hmm. we just kind of like push it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a lot of times we suppress our emotions and feelings. And so we don't even know what it is that we're feeling. And, um, and I think that a meditate. So one of the pieces within the work we do is there's specific meditations that are really helpful for communication. Um, and one of the meditations that's really great for listening to yourself is just self-inquiry meditation, right? Because you're not, it's not about the answers. It's really about starting to see yourself as somebody that knows the answers to those questions and to really just start asking the questions And I often say that you want to become the person who knows 100% about yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so that you have, you have the answers for you Mm -hmm. and nobody else, right? Because nobody else knows your answers, but 
it's, it's remembering that, you know, we do know and we can tell ourselves, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But again, that's talking to ourselves in a way that's really unhelpful mm-hmm. and distracting us from being able to, to know. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I just want to say, um, you do have a YouTube channel with some guided meditations. So yeah. anyone who wants to kind of sample this approach, um, I can link that in the show notes for this episode. Yeah. And also you have entire courses where you teach this. Yes. yes. This is not like a simple, <laughs> easy beginner skill. No, it's, um, it's not a simple, easy beginner skill, but anybody can learn how to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we have the training program, which is a 15 week program, which really teaches, teaches how to do this, right? It really, you're spending, you know, 15 weeks really understanding not only what the practice is, but then implementation, because it's all about implementing and practicing. Mm -hmm. So you're learning how to listen to yourself. You're learning how to change the way that you talk to yourself. You're learning how to, um, really be able to be with another person who may have different opinions than you and stay in the room and have a conversation. You're learning how to speak consciously and clearly and concisely. You're learning how to use silence, not as like a way to punish or power over somebody, but as a way to really collaborate or use that silence to know, is this, is this helpful? Is this hurtful? Am I like, am I wanting to stay in this conversation? Am I wanting to leave the conversation? Um, and you're learning really how to have difficult conversations to expand your capacity for discomfort. Um, and you know, by the end, it's really, it really is phenomenal to watch, uh, people work through it because they're able, I mean, they're, they really embody Buddhist, like it's just, it's like, I'm like, oh, there's all these little Buddhas walking around. That's what it looks like to me. Um, but again, you don't have to be Buddhist to do it, but you know, everybody who leaves, leaves way more responsive than reactive, mm-hmm. right? Like they understand how to uh, connect, not driven by emotion, right? Mm-hmm. And really not get caught in the language, but be able to observe it and be able to say what they need to say. And that's it. Like, you know, no longer fearing other people's reactions and things like that, that hold them back from expressing themselves. They have a meditation practice and it's, it's beautiful to watch. So yes, it is, it's a 15 week, you know, program. And then there's also shorter, uh, you know, audio courses on how to communicate like a Buddhist that we have and, um, talking to yourself like a Buddhist as well, but yeah. And it's real. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's it's a great set of resources. Um, yeah. I, I would like to go back to a pair of words you just used, um, which I think is important for your work. Being responsive versus reactive. Yeah. Could you say more about what that is and what it means to your work? Yeah. So, I mean, reactive is, you know, saying things really automatically. Everything happens so quickly that we just react that, you know, it just automatically comes out. Um, and that's what the majority of us do. Right. And 
we say things we don't mean, then we regret what we've said. Um, we wish we would have said things that we didn't say, you know, those types of things. Mm -hmm. And then the responsive piece is really what we're working toward, right? Which is to actually think before you speak. I know it sounds like I remember when I first started in all this and my mom was like, so you're asking me to think before I say something. And I'm like, yes. And it was like, it. <laughs> it was, but that, I mean, that's really what it is. It's really, it's that space between, I wish I remember the quote, but there's the quote about like the space between, you know, the event and the stimulus or mm -hmm. response. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. The stimulus and response and in that yeah. space is where our freedom lies. Yes. So that space is what this work does. It creates that gap so that you can respond, you know, cause people always be like, just pause mm -hmm. and then say something. And you're like, great. But how do you actually pause, right? This work teaches you how to get to the place to pause so that then you can express yourself, mm -hmm. um, which is very important, right? So you become less reactive and more responsive so that you're, um, you're actually heard and you're actually having conversation and it's not just, you know, a one way conversation or information sharing, but you're truly having meaningful conversations again. Yeah. Which I feel is just such an important part of like where we are collectively right now, mm -hmm. such deep differences sometimes even between, you know, friends and family and partners. Um, I also just kind of want to like stop and, and put like a traditional Buddhist pin in, in these ideas of, you know, reacting versus responding. I, I feel like you could say, you know, that that immediate knee jerk reaction, it's just completely karmically conditioned. Yeah. You know, it's it's our entire history, our background, what we've done thousands of times before in a certain situation, you know, and like the whole the whole Buddhist project is like karma is that wheel of suffering that just yeah. is going to keep rolling on its own. Mm -hmm. And our job is to maybe like slow it down a little tiny bit yeah. <laughs> and to create that gap, like you're saying, because that, you know, reaction, it doesn't leave space for compassion. It doesn't leave space for wisdom. And I hear a lot of compassion and wisdom and what you're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, toward ourselves, toward others. Um, and it's, uh, it's a really wonderful, I think, compliment to like modern, the way you see the Dharma presented in a modern context to also find a way to like, you know, slow down and apply this to communication mm -hmm. which can ripple out through the whole rest of our lives. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So I, I have, this might sound like a completely random question, but mm -hmm. this is something you mentioned, you know, when you talked about right speech and it's a very traditional element, but I think maybe trickier nowadays, which is gossip. Yeah. Um, how do you define gossip in your work? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I, I define it as if, well, there's a few ways. One is if you are talking with somebody and sharing something with them, let's say you're talking about a coworker or a friend. If that friend were with you, right? Like if they were in the room with you, would you still be sharing that information? Mm -hmm. right? Like that's one of the pieces to define gossip, right? And 
the thing with gossip is usually it's judging, right? Like there's usually judgment there. There is usually like an exaggeration there in terms of it being, it's either we're, we're talking about somebody else in an exaggerated way to make us feel better or it makes us feel worse. Mm. Um, and then the other is, you know, would you, would you talk about like this person this way in front of your child as well? Mm. Right. If you had a kid, if you have a kid. Um, but the idea really with gossip is that it's, it's all judgment, Mm -hmm. right. Or it's being the, it, the phrases or what you're saying is happening out of a need to feel better or less than, Mm -hmm. um, and, the opposite of that is just statements, right? Mm-hmm. So it would be something like, wow, I can't believe she's always late. Mm-hmm. That could be gossip, right? Mm-hmm. Or you just say, um, you know, she's late today. Mm-hmm. There's, that's that's a different way, right? Um, but it's really, those are that's the way I see it. That's the way I usually talk to it. Um, but it is hard nowadays because I think people really bond over gossip. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really uncomfortable in the beginning when people start to see how much their relationships are based in talking about other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it changes, you know, once you start implementing this these practices, it changes your relationships with people. And there are some relationships that no longer feel as fulfilling, or it's not that they no longer feel that way. It's just, you start to realize that they never really were, or you want more from those relationships. And so the beautiful thing is that you start to see, well, I don't, I don't want to only connect in this way. I want to have different kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. And so then you get to be the one to guide the conversation differently Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're around other people who gossip, I used to gossip all the time. I like, I, I loved it. I really did. Um, and you know, to this day, my sister gets so frustrated with me now because she's like, I just loved it when you would sit here and like gossip with me, you know? And it's like, I totally understand that, but it does not, it's not helpful right? Mm-hmm. It's not helpful for me. It's not helpful or kind to the person that I'd be talking about or talking to. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. And it's not honest either. Right. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't align with the elements of right speech. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so it's, it's a hard one. It's a hard one, you know, to hit head on. And I think that in the beginning for people, it's just being able to excuse themselves from those situations or being able to say, you know, this actually makes me feel really uncomfortable. Could we talk about something else? Or, um, you know, I'm, I, I have students just say, you know, I'm in this training and we're playing around with not gossiping. And so, you know, I just want to try it for like the next five days and see how it goes, you know, like it can be like that too, but yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for me, you know, sometimes gossip about, I don't know, celebrities or politics or something like that, it can seem like a victimless crime because like, I don't know these people. Um, But like, at the end of the day, there's still some like residue of just that, like, 
ickiness of, you know, being, finding that like drama in someone else's life so delicious that you want to talk about it. And, you know, if you're training your mind to be like clear and calm and open and compassionate, you know, there is something about that process of, you know, schadenfreude of of taking some kind of joy in someone else's pain, even Mm -hmm. that is not really, it's not aligned with the Dharma. Yeah, it isn't. And I think that it's, you know, in those moments where, um, where it seeps in, I often just try to go right to sympathetic joy. Mm -hmm. Like I just try to just be like, all right, like, you know, I'm going to extend this and see, you know, what is this person doing that, you know, maybe I also want to be doing or Mm -hmm. what is, you know, getting to kind of the root of like, why am I, why am I saying these things? Mm -hmm. Although I don't love the question why that's my, (laughs) that's one of the ones that doesn't get you anywhere. (laughs) I, I think that idea of, you know, first of all, even noticing the behavior and then like substituting something else for it. Yeah. It's just so liberative, mm-hmm. you know, to, to feel in your, in your body and in your mind, the difference between, Ooh, did you hear about X, Y, Z? And like, may they be well, Yeah, you know, if like, you're I'm so sure different. they've done something wonderful today. Maybe they give their kids something yeah. that brought them joy. Mm-hmm. May they be well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, changes the feeling in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This has been just such a wonderful kind of um, short guided tour through what you do and what you offer. Um, I'm just curious, do you have any kind of, you know, couple of top tips for people when they're relating to themselves, maybe in meditation or relating to others to help keep that, you know, that right speech kind of fresh and, and going rather than falling into less skillful speech. Yeah. I think that, I mean, with, when it comes to with ourselves, it really is just paying attention to the ways that we're talking to ourselves that are helpful or hurtful mm-hmm. right? and starting to notice what language is creating more, you know, doubt or fear or anxiety in the body and what language opens the body and helps it feel more expansive. Um, and when noticing like the, the talk that isn't helpful or causing more suffering to just be able to be like, Oh, there you are again. I see you. Thanks so much. I understand you're here. And now I'm just going to see like, can I talk to myself in a kind, honest and helpful way? Right. Um, and then when it comes with, you know, connecting with others, I think one thing is really just to see if you can truly notice your distraction mm-hmm. um, and have a kind, gentle voice bringing you back to the present so that you're with the other person, just asking yourself internally, like, how can I be helpful to this person right now? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think those are good places to, to begin. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'll have mm-hmm. links to your books, 
to the Institute you've created for intentional communication. Um, and I hope that, you know, this can inspire people to begin to notice more how they communicate with themselves, with others, maybe talk to themselves and everyone else more like a Buddhist. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.